It was in that tower that I first heard my bell. I rang for years. I must have made a hell of a noise. I rang for years just visually seeing where I had to pull my rope. But I was halfway through a peal that Derek Simpson was calling. I was on the treble. It was surprise major. And I thought, oh, gosh, that's my bell. Oh, I can hear it. And it was it was a tremendous eureka moment. And my ringing has, I hope, benefited hugely as a result. Hi, welcome to the Fun With Bells podcast, where I, Kathy Booth, interview novices and some of the most famous ringers in the world as they reveal the mysteries of this heard but often hidden art. My guest today took up tower bell ringing with her husband when she was in her 20s. They have a private ringing centre in Tulloch near Fort William in the Highlands of Scotland and another in Alderney in the Challon Islands. She also rings handbells. My guest today is Helen McGregor. Helen, I'd like to talk to you about how you got into tower bell ringing, about Tulloch and Alderney, and then about ringing handbells. Is that okay? Yes, that's fine. Great. Okay, so firstly, when did you take up ringing tower bells and why? It was in 1979, in the spring of 1979. I was living in a flat in East London, South Hackney, and I was very friendly with my next door neighbour, who's a single mother, uh, and she asked me whether or not I would babysit every Wednesday night for her daughter. And although I enjoyed her daughter's company, I thought, mm, I don't much fancy babysitting on a regular basis. And so I thought, well, not really, Eleanor. Why do you need a babysitter? Uh, and she was a churchgoer, and she said that the vicar had uh, asked for recruits to learn to ring. So I said, well, I won't babysit, but I will come and uh, try out this bell ringing with you. And that was it. After one or two sessions, I was completely hooked. I reported to my then new boyfriend, Peter, that this was really quite something and that I was very much enjoying the company of the chap who was teaching me to ring, Steve Jakeman. So Peter thought, ah, he'd uh, better come along and police this activity. And Peter came too. And we learnt as a pair and have been ringing together ever since. Of course, I don't let Peter forget that I started ringing a fortnight before him. Uh, and even though that was 40 years ago, I will always be better than him because I've been ringing for two weeks longer. And what is it about it that's hooked you? Um, the comradeship of the other ringers is, is very valuable to me. But I think what I like is learning the patterns. I enjoy playing chess and bridge and Scottish country dancing and fair isle knitting. I obviously have, although I've never really thought about it, because uh, everybody imagines everybody else is the same as they are. But I enjoy patterns, crosswords, puzzles, jigsaws, and bell ringing is just more of that. Uh, and it's more of it, but it's it's always developing because for me, one of the great joys of ringing is that you can always try a bit harder and learn something more complicated or perform the same piece better get your striking better or be of more help to the other ringers that are struggling to learn that method. It's just tremendous fun, hugely addictive. And you're a member of the Cumberlands. Can you tell me what the Cumberlands are? Yes, there are two, I don't want to, well, elite society of, of bell ringers. They're people who take their bell ringing more seriously than others, perhaps, is 
good way to put it. Um, they have friendly rivalry between the two of them. There's the college youths and the Cumberlands. I was lucky enough to be proposed and then accepted as a member of the Cumberlands along with Peter many years ago. I think, I think the powers that be, the movers and shakers within the Cumberlands had great expectations of us. We've failed to rise to those challenges that they probably wanted us to be very enthusiastic 12-bell peel ringers. We like to think that we've made a very useful contribution to ringing in other ways with our ringing centres. I'd like to move on to those. So first of all, talking about Tulloch, what do you have in Tulloch? Well, Tulloch, we bought Tulloch as a farm in 2002, and it's got some holiday cottages and some old barns. And Peter was talking to a good friend of ours, Alex Byrne, uh, and Peter had a dream of putting in a peal of bells in one of the uh, disused barns. And Alex said, oh, you'll never manage that. Well, that was a gauntlet thrown down to Peter. And so we really have Alex to thank for the Tulloch Ringing Centre. Peter doesn't do anything by halves. And he rose to the challenge of putting in a ringing centre in near Fort William. It fills a gap because there are bells at Inverary, magnificent peal of very heavy bells in Inverary, which is southwest of us. And then we've got Inverness, which is northeast of us. So continuing on that line, if you join those two towns together, Fort William is sort of halfway along the line and no bells there. So Tulloch geographically is very well placed. Uh, And now because we've got no sound problems and because the belfry was designed to house this peal of bells, we are very grateful to Matthew Higby, who did uh, all the calculations for us and came along and installed the bells. We had some bells that were with the Celtic Trust being taken out of decommissioned churches and we came to an arrangement with the Scottish Association that they let us buy them at a knockdown price if you like so with the understanding that if ever the bells ceased to be used in a ringing centre we'd have to give them back to the Scottish Association and we were very happy with that condition and we had a peal of 12 bells about 800 weight and then we realized after we'd had a couple of large groups come through that actually one peal of bells was not enough and so we installed a very light peal of eight called the last tower because i was insistent that that was the end of our bell free creation schemes so it's called the last tower but then when we ended up spending more of our time in alderney we thought we'd better put some bells in the garage there and we have a ringing centre now in our garden. It has to be called a garage because the planning conditions in Alderney are quite strict and we're in the green belt. So we applied for planning to extend our garage, but any ringer opening the door would recognise it immediately as a belfry. And so we've ended up with our own bells in Fort William, Tulloch, and in Alderney. And very Satisfactory. It's very easy to ring your own bells because although historically we've always been granted permission by every vicar that we've ever asked, can we ring your bells? It does. It just forms another link in the chain between you and the student. You know, the student's free on Tuesday. I'm free on Tuesday. Can we have another handling lesson? I can't say there and then. Yes, you can, because I've got to check it with the vicar. I know I'm likely to get a yes, but it's 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 etiquette and, and common sense and everything to just check with the vicar if you're going to have your handling lesson in a church. Whereas if you're having it at, a, at the ringing centre, I know it's free on Tuesday, so I can just say yes straight away to the student. It makes life a lot easier. And you say ringing centre. It's not just, well, in the case of Tulloch, two belfries. 
no, Intelligence, two belfries, a simulator. So that's three rooms fully given over to ringing. Uh, and then there's a kitchen and a common room and a comfy city and a stove. And it's very much a, a facility, everything you'd need for a good day of ringing. And what goes on there? In Tullach, unfortunately, not so much. We've had a bit of trouble recruiting a, a local band. We've got four people who, when we are there, make six, and that's a very good practice night. They have some regular visitors, but the actual Tullach band, permanently in residence, consists only of four people. But we host Scottish Association meetings, and because it is where it is in a very scenic part of the country, when the country is not on, COVID-19 lockdown, we get a lot of visiting bands come through. Uh, and so there's uh, usually good bell ringing going on there once every three or four weeks. And then the local band practice on Tuesdays. So it's visiting bands? Predominantly visiting bands, but the local band does meet every Tuesday night. And they get regular visitors down from Inverness, as well as ringing bands, visiting bands coming through. And you run courses there as well? Oh, yes, yes. I'm very bossy and it's easy for me <laughs> to run a course so long as I keep the level low enough because I'm not there ringing Phobos and Orion every week. But I like to think I can teach handling and call changes and kaleidoscope ringing and plain hunt and plain bob doubles. I've got lots of tricks up my sleeve that seem to work, I'm pleased to say. And we have some very successful training weeks for novice ringers. The idea is that they can already ring the bell safely on their own, but quite a number of people arrive and just need some tips and clues just to perfect, to polish their handling before we get started on moving forward onto the patterns that they have to master. Are there any tips that you could share with us? <laughs> um, blimey, uh, keep your hands together. You're so much stronger when your hands are together. Don't ring uh, sort of sloppily with one hand doing more work than the other. They work much, much better. You're much stronger so you can use less effort if you keep your hands together. Uh, another tip, I'd say tension in the rope is everything. It's a rope, not a rod. You can't push it. You must have the rope under ever such gentle tension. I have a lot of people who pull too hard and check too hard and pull too hard and check too hard, just trying to get them to even out their pull so they're not fighting themselves. On the hands together tip, the first one, try ringing with uh, a five pound note between your hands and try and keep it in place. It's a game I play with children who are learning to ring. You know, Once they've mastered it, they can keep the five pound note. It's much cheaper to teach children on Alderney because we still have one pound note, so I can use that instead. This is a quick break to thank our sponsors, the Association of Ringing Teachers, ART. You can find out more at bellringing.org, where there are resources to support your ringing, to find out how to learn to ring, or to learn to teach. Now back to the episode. And what, what's the difference if we were comparing Tallock and Alderney? You've already said that Tallock has two rings and Alderney is a garage, but are there any other differences between them? Um, Alderney is a garage and a simulator. They both have a simulator. Tallock has the heavier peel of 12. and a very, So I say Tallock is 
if I had to only have one, it would be Tullough because it's bigger. There's more room in it. The best peal of bells is the Tullough 12, but the little light eight in Alderney is heavier than the light eight in Tullough, so they're very user-friendly. I'd say I'd have to go with Tullough, more room. There's a, a common room and a fire and comfy stove. Yeah, it would have to be Tullough, but I'm locked down in Alderney, so I'll have to make the best of it and <laughs> do my ringing in Alderney for a while. Do you have a local band in Alderney? Oh, yes. We've got between 12 and 15 ringers. So on a good night, we can ring Surprise Major, but we're more frequently ringing Cambridge Minor and playing Bob Triples, Grants of Triples. Since Simon Triples, we're trying to ring for what was going to be an eight-bell striking competition on the Channel Islands in April. But, of course, that's suffered the fate of all bell ringing at the moment. Yes, yes. So, yes, very good, very strong local band. And we ring handbells on Alderney. We ring handbells in Tullock as well. What what delights me most about the Alderney band is that we have a number of children learning. We've got two very young ones, aged seven and nine, who only ring at the ringing centre. Uh, and we've got two who are aged 12 and 16, who ring at both the ringing centre and at the church at St Anne's. The St Anne's church bells are much heavier with a much longer draught than the ringing centre. So we've decided that the children have to be uh, of a certain capability before they can graduate from the ringing centre to the church bells. So far, we only have two who've made that transition. Mm. But the Channel Islands are going to enter a team in the Ringing World National Youth Striking Competition in July, if it goes ahead. Uh, the Channel Island Pirates and two of our Alderney ringers are in the team. We've got two from Alderney and two from Guernsey and four from Jersey. So that makes eight. How do they get to practice? <laughs> They're not going to practice together at all now, I don't think, before the competition. They were going to have a practice at the district meeting in April, but that's been cancelled. So what will happen will be the four Jersey ringers will be allocated their bells. We know which bells they're going to be on. And adults will have to ring the other four ropes and they will practice the set piece. And Guernsey, the two children will have their two ropes and six adults will fill in for the others. Uh, and they will ring the practice piece there with their adults to support them and the same on Alderney. So that we'll end up with eight children who can all ring their bell with others uh, and they just won't have actually rung it together as a team probably until July when it is the competition in York. You talked about handbells. Yes, handbells. That's that's my uh, absolute delight. We started ringing. There were three of us living in the house at the time, myself, my husband Peter and a very good friend of ours, Di Herbert from Wales. And uh, the three of us were keen, very keen tower bell ringers, very inexperienced tower bell ringers at this stage, must have been about the early 1980s, 1981 perhaps, 1982. And we heard there was a very friendly practice at Bow in the Road in East London. So we trolled along to ring with these good tower bell ringers, confident that they would bring us along, encourage us, all the rest of it. But Bow in the Road is a very cold tower. It's a ground floor ring and it had cold stone flags on the floor. And you'd get quite chilled to the bone ringing their tower bells. So after about 20 minutes tower bell ringing, you'd adjourn through to the vestry where they were teaching people to ring handbells. 
with the fire lit. So we do 20 minutes handbells and then go back and do 20 minutes tower bells. And they would rotate. So they had half the people ringing handbells at any one time and half the people ringing tower bells with the tutors in both locations. And we very much enjoyed our handbell ringing. And we realized fairly early on that improving our handbell ringing would also be of huge benefit to our tower bell ringing. So we ordered a set of handbells from Whitechapel and we just kept practicing at home then with the three of us. Peter took out of the box the trebles, the one and the two. I found myself holding the three and four and Di had the five and six. And together, so long as we stayed on the same pairs all evening, we were eventually able to manage a plain course of plain Bob Minor. And then we just got better and practiced more. But then Di emigrated to South Africa, so we were very sad to lose him, but so we had to teach others. And that's been our pattern throughout all the places that we've lived. It's so easy to teach people handbells, so long as they have rhythm, that you can find out early on if they can ring decent, reasonably fast rounds, then they're worth teaching handbells to. Without rhythm, you can't really ring handbells at all. It's surprising the number of tower bells who mask their absence of, of rhythm uh, by using the weight of the bell or, or physically, I, I don't know how they do it, but it's surprising the difference in people's ability in the tower and on hand. And you mentioned that you stick with the same pair of bells. Is that yes. what everybody does when they're ringing handbells? <laughs> no, this is definitely uh, uh, do as I tell you, don't do as I do. When I'm teaching handbells, I ensure that the students all move around and get a good experience on all the different pairs. But people have to arm wrestle me away from my three, four. It's force of habit. It's because when there's only Peter, myself and a neighbour, some hapless soul who's walked past the house and have been dragged in to ring some handbells, invariably they get the five, six. And we find that with Peter on the trebles, me on the three, four, we could almost get the dog to ring the five, six because we're, we're very solid. We've been doing it long enough that we can knock them into shape. So it's just easier if we always just stick on the pairs we're used to. But it is a bad habit. It is definitely not something I uh, advocate to the students. And, and how do you start people off ringing handbells? I find it's a good idea to start them off just ringing one handbell. So they get the idea of the two strokes because you've got an upstroke and a downstroke, like in tower where you've got a handstroke and a backstroke. In handbells, you've got an up and a down which is called a hand and a back. But for students, it's easier to think of it as an up and a down, particularly if they're not tower bell ringers. So with one hand bell, you can test if they've got rhythm uh, and you can ask them to count their place because all of bell ringing is totally dominated by the idea of what place you have to strike your bell in. And if they can count first, second, third, fourth, fifth, fifth, fourth, third, second, first, then I'm reasonably confident that I can make a handbell ring out of them. Where have you rung handbells? <laughs> well, everywhere we've lived, and it seems that we've moved around quite a bit. We learnt in London, and then we moved to Reading. Then we went to America. Then we went to Scotland. And now we still have Scotland, but we have a house in Alderney in the Channel Islands as well. And we split our time between those two locations. So it's... Yes, that's where we've ended up ringing. But with some very good friends of ours, Jenny Carter in Reading came and joined our handbell group when we were living there. And she was kind enough to give birth to two very able sons, handbell ringing sons, well, tower ringing as well, uh, Jack and Daniel Page. And uh, together, Jenny with her two boys and Peter and myself 
are very slowly trying to score quarter peels in the most westerly, most northerly, most southerly, most easterly parts uh, of the British Isles. So many years ago, we went to Green Island off Jersey. Uh, Peter and I were in that band. I, I don't think Jenny was in that. And then we planned to revisit that, but go further and go to the Minkies. And that was going to happen this summer, whether that will or not now, I don't know. But most recently, we've done the most westerly on the Great Blasket Island off the west coast of Ireland. That's the most westerly point of the British Isles. And the most northerly, we went up to Muckle Flugger Lighthouse. Beautiful name. So it's a nature reserve on Unst, the northern of the Shetland Isles. And we rang a very midgy-dominated quarter peel of uh, Plain Bob Royal. We were eaten alive by these wretched insects. They found us early on and just licked their lips and got stuck in. We were badly bitten, but it was uh, good fun despite that. So we have the most easterly to do at some stage, which is lowest off. So that'll be easy. That's going to be our last one. We need to get to the minkies. And you've also mentioned that your luxury when you're on a desert island would be handbells. Yes, if I had to choose... It's it's curious because my my repertoire is much more extensive in the tower than in hand, but the patterns intrigue me more. I suppose because I can't do them, I find them infuriating, and and it's it's a disappointment to me that my repertoire in hand is so much less than my repertoire in the tower. It's clearly a defect in my brain. I'm not able to get my head around these patterns, so I find it frustrating that uh, my handbell ability is so limited and I'd want to do better and it would give me plenty of opportunity to practice if I was stuck on a desert island. Can you practice on your own? Oh, some people can. There are lots of apps for iPads and things and mobile phones. Sadly, I can ring even less on the app than I can with a genuine handbell. I think because with the app, you're touching the keys with your index finger rather than the action of your, your wrist going up and down. I get lost very early on. And that's so frustrating. That's that's so poor a performance by myself that I give up, which is uh, not a good character trait to have. I Perhaps using this COVID-19 lockdown, I should revisit my iPad app and see if I can at least ring Bob Major on it. Very good. <laughs> right. Helen, was there anything else that we should touch on before we go to the final two questions? No, I can't think of anything other than it's been tremendous fun. I, I, I can't imagine if I'd taken up golf or tennis or amateur dramatics, I would not have had anything like the fun I've had with ringing. It's been superb. Apart from the tower that you regularly ring at, what's your favourite ring of bells and why? That would have to be St Mary's Reading, I think. It's a glorious, heavy peal of eight and although I learnt Surprise Major in London, it was when we moved to Reading and we were ringing regularly with some very good ringers. Derek Sibson called some peels, Cumberland peels. I really feel as if my ringing grew in breadth at Reading. It was in that tower that I first heard my bell. I rang for years. I must have made a hell of a noise. I rang for years just visually seeing where I had to pull my rope 
but I was halfway through a peel that Derek Simpson was calling. I was on the treble. It was surprise major. And I thought, oh, gosh, that's my bell. Oh, I can hear it. And it was it was a tremendous eureka moment. And my ringing has, I hope, benefited hugely as a result. What remarkable thing has happened to you that wouldn't have happened if you hadn't taken up bell ringing? Remarkable thing. Just, I can't, uh, it's a very difficult question. The remarkable thing that I have is a tremendous range of friends that I can call up at a moment's notice that I know would help me if I had a problem that I can go and stay with and I can spend all evening just chatting with. And they are just a genuinely supportive, friendly, encouraging, happy group of people. And I know so many of them and I take such a delight in their company and companionship. Thank you, Helen. Yes, it's just fantastic. I, I just love every minute of it. I love, I love teaching students. I love ringing within my range of ability. And I love pushing the boat out and trying something very difficult where I have to beg for help. And it's just, it just, I just find it astounding how much fun I have with it. Thanks to Helen McGregor for telling us about the two ringing centres that she and her husband own, and also about her passion for handbell ringing. This podcast was put together by a team. Special thanks go to Anne Tansley Thomas and John Gwynne, Leslie Belcher, Sue Hall, Nick Boyd, and the Society of Cambridge Youths for the recording of their ringing. There are openings for other roles within the production team. Contact me at funwithbellspodcast at gmail.com if you're interested. If you're in Britain and are interested in learning to ring, then please go to ringingteachers.org or for handbell ringers, hrgb.org.uk. Both websites have links to help you get started. Follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Fun With Bells. (laughs) 